Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. And it's from Psalm 65. And the uh, choir director here, David, uh, it's a psalm by David. It's a song. He says, You are praised with silence in Zion, O God, and vows made to you must be kept. You are the one who hears prayers. Everyone will come to you. Various sins overcome me. You are the one who forgives our rebellious acts. Blessed is the person you choose and invite to live with you in your courtyard. We will be filled with good food from your house, from your holy temple. You answer us with awe-inspiring acts done in righteousness, O God, our Savior. The hope of all the ends of the earth and of all the most distant sea. The one who sets the mountain in place with his strength. The one who is clothed with power. The one who calms the roar of the seas. Their crashing waves and the uproar of the nations. Those who live at the ends of the earth are in awe of your miraculous signs. The lands of the morning sunrise and evening sunset sing joyfully. You take care of the earth and you water it. You make it much richer than it was. The river of God is filled with water. You provide grain for them. Indeed, you even prepare the ground. You grinch the plowed fields with rain and level their clumps of soil. You soften them with showers and bless what grows in them. You crown the years with your goodness and richness overflows wherever you are. The pastures in the desert overflow with richness. The hills are surrounded with joy. The pastures are covered with flocks. The valley are carpeted with grain. All of them shout triumphantly. Indeed, they sing. Well, good morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 65. Psalm chapter 65. As Avery noted, here we are on New Year's Eve. It's a a time of transition, isn't it? Some of you have probably already taken down your Christmas ornaments, maybe on December 26th. We have done that. Others of you are waiting as long as possible before you have to do that. It's a time for reflection. For example, it's common this time of year for news and social feeds to share what were the top 10 books of 2023 Top 10 movies, top 10 sports plays, top 10 stocks. And if you listen to Spotify app, you'll get a, it's what's an app that plays music and podcasts, if you don't know. Um, they'll give you the wrapped version. They'll share with you what the top five songs you listened to this past year and top five artists. And so, for example, it looks something like this. I took the liberty of snagging my kids's. Um, playlist in terms of who they listen to the most and what songs they listen to the most. This is not a full endorsement of each and everything, but this is just reality w- which we live in. So, not against it, it just, just is. It's also a time of looking ahead, right? And, and under 13 hours, about now, some of you will bring in the new year. Some of you will choose to do that after about 10 hours and then, then hit the sack. A lot of our life is shaped around time, isn't it? For example, 
Jamie and I have been attending GBC for about over 20 years now. And when we first came to GBC, I don't remember the exact context or who said this exactly. But one morning we were here and this person asked a question, paused, and then answered it. And everyone kind of, around them kind of like nodded their head agreeing. And so Jamie and I were like, oh, okay. And the question they asked was this. Do you know what the most repeated command in Scripture is? What is the one thing that God tells us to do in the Bible more than anything else? And so I was like standing there sort of like mentally shrugging my shoulders because I had no idea what the answer was going to be. And that person responded with the answer. And he or she, again, can't remember, said, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. They said, praising the Lord was the most cited command God gives his people in all scripture. And then others, again, others around it nodded in agreement. And I remember thinking, wow, I have never thought about praising the Lord as something I'm supposed to do, which is something that happens sometimes. So in advance of the sermon this morning, I try to track down to make sure that's really true. So I went online and I can't say this with like a thousand percent certainty. Um, but if you take the idea of, of praising the Lord, delighting the Lord, worshiping the Lord, adoring those sort of things, thinking about his attributes and sort of bundle them all up. I'm not sure there's any other command more than doing that. So whoever said that 20 years ago was probably spot on. The psalm before us this morning, Psalm 65, is an atypical pairing of a psalm and a song. In fact, Spurgeon said this could be sung or said. Not Most psalms don't fall in that category. Um, for your benefit, I'm going to choose the saying and not the singing aspect of that. So let me read. I know Avery read this earlier. Let me read Psalm 65 again. It will sound a little bit different than his version, which is great. Psalm 65. Praise is rightfully yours, God in Zion. Vows to you will be fulfilled. All humanity will come to you. The one who hears prayer. Iniquities overwhelm me. Only you can atone for our rebellions. How happy is the one you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We will be satisfied with the goodness of your house. The holiness of your temple. You answer us in righteousness with awe-inspiring words, God of our salvation. The hope of all the ends of the earth and of the distant seas. You establish the mountains by your power. You are robed with strength. You silence the roar of the seas, the roar of their waves, and the tumult of the nations. Those who live far away are awed by your signs. You make east and west shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it abundantly, enriching it greatly. God's stream is filled with water, for you provide the earth in this way, providing people with grain. You soften it with showers and bless its growth, soaking its furrows and leveling its ridges. You crown the year with your goodness. Your carts overflow with plenty. The wilderness pastures overflow. 
and the hills are robed with joy. The pastures are clothed with flocks and the valley is covered with grain. They shout in triumph. Indeed, they sing. One of the reasons, and we've probably heard this before, one of the reasons the Psalms are so popular with so many people is they contain the entire range of human experience, don't they? They're relatable, experiential. In them we see highs and lows and mountains and valleys and struggles and and joys. The Psalms are inherently personal. And this Psalm is admittedly unspectacular. And that frankly is part of its appeal. It's, It's not as memorable as Psalm 23. It's not as reflective as Psalm 51 or artistic as Psalm 119 or it's not exploding with fireworks of praise like Psalm 150. It's a typical psalm written to typical people showing us how we should typically think about God and ourselves. Just David reciting ways God has blessed him. Like a a married couple practicing that oneness John's been teaching us from Ephesians 5 where who they don't need reminders to say how they feel about each other or, or to show the way they feel about each other they just, they just do it don't need holidays or anniversaries to, to force them to do that and that same way here in Psalm 65 David doesn't have an agenda he doesn't have an ulterior motive coming before God he's simply praising God for God's sake Here on your version, the psalm starts out with praise awaits you or belongs to you. And everybody's version caught this, which I was glad to hear. It's actually the idea of praise is silence or praise is stillness. Nas- some of the Nasby versions do a good job of capturing that. Like there will be silence before you and praise in Zion. David starts off with quietly praising God without a word it's a a silence or stillness of one who is deeply content fully satisfied like may think satisfied southern drawl kind of left me there a little bit um someone's fully satisfied like you might think about a christmas dinner where you've just enjoyed all the goodness and had the dessert and you sort of just lean back and just and you're enjoying what you've experienced praise isn't only isn't only outwardly expressive is it when we praise the lord it can and will look differently at different times and if you've been saved for a while or been in church for a while you can probably rattle off reasons reasons why we should praise the lord why praises as do him and david touches on several here in rapid fire fashion then before he gets to like the last two-thirds of the psalm, it ends up looking at through both lenses of the telescope. He looks big picture and very narrow, very specifically. Look at verse 2. All humanity will come to you, the one who hears prayer. David's talking about the nature of God here. This is a God whose ear is inclined to us all the time. 
He's a God who doesn't need to be badgered into listening. Jesus, like any loving husband, wants to hear from his bride. And it, and it doesn't matter the, the skill level, the maturity, whether you are able to wax poetic or it's just simple one-syllable words. Because God is a personal God who is inclined to hear us. Brothers and sisters, we shouldn't ever feel the slightest hesitation in coming before God to talk to him. We see another reason why David praises God. Verse three, iniquities overwhelm me. Only you can atone for our rebellions. Do you see how David phrased that? He doesn't say, yeah, I sin like everybody else. He, he goes a step further. In humble honesty, David takes responsibility for his sins and the reality of the situation. It says, iniquities prevail against me. Your version may have the word overwhelm. Or put another way, David's saying, my sins are winning. I'm losing spiritually right now. My sins are defeating me. I'm being rebellious. It's not, well, I'm not doing so hot. You know, been struggling a little bit. I'm not spiritually where I want to be. We often hedge spiritual realities when describing to others our battles against sin. You know, we dodge, downplay, deflect. Dance around. When we meet with one another outside these walls during the week, this next year, let's be the kind of person who can interest and confidence and honesty, like David here, share how you're really doing. And not just be, it's fine. It's okay. And if you're on the receiving end as a listener... Be the friend and brother or sister who is a trustworthy recipient of that information. So why isn't David worried about his spiritual state because he sinned? Why is he not stressing about it? Well, because David knows God atones for sin. God forgives sin. God has made a way so the sins of God's people will never be eternally held against them. New Covenant Christian, reading this Old Testament verse, doesn't your heart leap in praise for Jesus for removing every ounce of sin against you? Thank oh, thank you. Yes, he's done that. In the person of Jesus Christ, we have eternal peace with the divine Judge, which means we will never be penalized for any sin we commit. Why is that? Because Jesus already took all that punishment. Sin brings punishment and death to everyone. 
For those of us who trusted in Jesus, that punishment and death was placed on the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that forever and ever there will be no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those of you who have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, let me be as clear as possible. If you do not turn from your sin and trust in Jesus, punishment and eternal death is waiting for you. God himself will personally judge you and your sins and rightfully cast you into hell. You have a choice. You either look by faith to Jesus, giving him your life and trusting in him who already received God's punishment and death for your sins as your substitute, or you will experience the full wrath of an all-powerful God for every single sin you've committed from birth through all eternity. Your sins against a holy God are punished in one of two places by one of two people. Either God punished your sin 2,000 years ago on the cross in the person of Jesus Christ. Or God will punish your sin on you in hell. There is no third option. There is no other, other alternative. The gospel tells us that doesn't have to be you. That's why, that's why the gospel is good news. Every one of us in here deserves hell. Every one of us. Yet, in this very moment where you're sitting, you can experience freedom and joy and peace like you've never had before by believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can be reconciled and have a relationship with the judge himself. See, Jesus came to earth because none of us are good enough. If we were, he wasted his time. Rather, he came to earth, lived his entire life without sinning once, which again, none of us in this room have done that. Probably this week. He never sinned once, died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and one day is coming back for his bride, his church, and he'll right all wrongs and make all things new and all injustices will be made right. And by faith, trusting in Jesus, you too, like David here in Psalm 65, can praise God that your sins are forgiven. Like so many of us in here have already experienced. If you have any questions on that, feel free to talk to me afterwards or your neighbor or one of the pastors. We'd love to talk with you more about that. What does this forgiveness bring believers for God's elect? Well, two things in verse 4. It brings joy and community. Look at verse 4. How happy is the one you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. 
I heard a preacher many years ago, John Wiesinger, he's with the Lord now. Some of you may have heard of him. He was influential in my life in the mid-late 20s. And he said that almost every time you see the to- God bring up the topic of election, joy and thankfulness and love are right there with it. You see it here in verse 4. And we won't turn there, but Ephesians 1, 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 Thessalonians 2 say the same thing. So if you're talking with someone about election and you're not happy about it and thankful about it, even if they don't believe the same thing, they're like, you're doing it all wrong. Because when God does it, it's like drenched and saturated and dripping with joy and love and thankfulness. I said forgiveness brings joy and community. We are full of joy and thanks because of God, because the God of love has chosen us, his people for salvation. And the result is we, we do this, right? We gather together in the mornings, Sunday morning and other times during the week. It's always been that way. Old Testament, New Testament, God's people gather together for worship. And along those lines, next year, here at GBC, we'll be rolling out, rolling out a membership class. Maybe the first of its kind. I'm not sure. Um, more details to come down the road uh, in terms of when it starts, how long, days, that sort of thing. But we'll be doing a membership class so that some of the pastors can share with you some of the distinctives of GBC. So if you've been thinking about becoming a member or recently became one, we'd love to have you attend that. There will be more down the road as well and more details about that. But we're excited and looking forward to that starting soon. The rest of Psalm 65 pretty much highlights God as creator and God as sustainer of all the earth. He influences the entirety of creation, verse 5, and he takes responsibility for making mountains, verse 6. Have you ever thought about how difficult that would be to make a mountain? I mean, I can make a mountain out of a molehill in some metaphorically, right? But like to physically make something that's 8,000, 14,000 feet high, God just like says it and it happens. Sort of power that, that he has. Look at verse 7. It says, You silence the roar of the seas, the roar of the waves, and the tumult of the nations. Like the song we heard when we were three years old, God has the whole world in his hands. Believe it or not, he still does. That's never changed. Because of this, God can calm seas. And we see Jesus do that, right? In Mark 4 and Mark 6, Jesus showed his power over all creation. Just from the words of his mouth, he calmed the storms. And Colossians 1 tells us that Jesus is creator of all things. And he holds all things together. And because of that, he has authority over creation. Seas, waves, peoples. And groups of people called nations. The rulers, the ones God raises up and removes for his purpose in his timing. When you see what's going on in the Middle East or other parts of the world, or when you consider things closer to home politically in 2024, remember, every single event is not only exactly how God planned it. Right? That's true. And he is actually 
moment by moment, putting all those puzzle pieces together, perfectly fitting his redemptive puzzle, created from eternity past, in the exact time frame he ordained. Every breaking news comment on the bottom of the screen, every text notification should remind us, oh, God's doing exactly what he had planned to do before the foundation of the earth. And it's right when he wanted it, wanted it to happen. And only God knows what that lid of that puzzle box looks like, right? None of us do. And only God knows how many more pieces there are to fit together before Christ comes back. So, so what's our response to that? Well, we don't get to like peer over his shoulder to see what that lid looks like, does it, do we? We don't have that privilege. And guessing or conjecture or what we think might happen tends to diminish our public witness for those who are committed to the truth of Christ. So instead, we live by faith that, yes, Jesus really does have the whole world in his hands. And he has our set of personal circumstances in his hands, too. Some of us do this better than others. Right? Jim Bloomstrand leaps to mind. As one who has a, a general pattern of, of life, general pattern of life, walks the life of faith really well. None of us would say Jim is grouchy, right? Jim is no Grinch, and we know why that's the case. And it's not inherently because of Jim. It's Jesus, right? Jim knows Jesus. Jim knows Jesus personally. Jim trusts Jesus. Jim trusts Jesus a lot. Jim has faith in Jesus. A faith that not only saved Jim, yes that, but an ongoing moment by moment faith in Jesus Christ. In the midst of Jim's circumstances. A faith in Jesus that recognizes who Jesus is. And that brings Jim what? Peace and joy and hope. It's one reason he smiles so much, right? He knows that Jesus has got this. That faith in Jesus then leads to praise. The praise that is due, creator God. I recently saw a pinned tweet online from the Atheist Forum. And they put this, and they were defining their belief of Christianity. And they said this. This is letter for letter, so I didn't change a single thing out of fairness to them. They said, Christianity, belief that one God created a universe 13.79 billion years old, 93 billion light years in diameter, parentheses, one light year equals approximately 6 trillion miles, consisting of over 200 billion galaxies, each containing an average of 200 billion stars, only to have a personal relationship with you. LOL. That was her tweet. And my response 
outside of the 13.7 billion years old? Because amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I mean, that is one glorious example. I mean, that's the sort of example I would use to tell about how amazing Jesus is, right? He is that powerful. Like, I cannot get my mind wrapped around that math, right? Even when it's broken down a little bit, billion and trillion and light years old, I just cannot fathom that. And even with all that physical distance, Jesus is that loving. And yes, does desire that personal relationship with you. He wants you to experience eternal shalom with the Prince of Peace. And you can by faith. John touched on this idea of shalom or or peace last week. Tim Keller kind of spills that out a little bit more. He says that God created all things to be in beautiful, harmonious, well, this word, interdependent, knitted, webbed together in one relationship to one another. This inter, interwovenness is what the Bible calls shalom or harmonious peace. Shalom means complete reconciliation, a state of the fullest flourishing in every dimension, physical, emotional, spiritual, social, because all relationships are made right and perfect and filled with joy. I mean, does that sound awesome? I mean, who does not want to look forward to that and experience that? Until that happens, guess what? (laughs) The world is not fully functioning as it was intended, is it? Individually, collectively, globally, environmentally, spiritually, however you want to describe it. So one area I want to touch on that isn't specifically mentioned in this text, but is is very real, is how do I praise God when life's circumstances are hard? When they're not going my way, how do I praise God in those moments? We can all think of times in our lives where we've experienced that. Maybe true of some of you this morning. Well, as Kevin's been talking about in Sunday school, there are spiritual battles that are both like out there, right? In these other dimensions. And there are spiritual battles going on right here and right here. Every day of every waking hour. What we choose to think about, to dwell on, those things reflect what we cherish in our hearts in those hard times. And if, as Christians, if, if we're not renewing our minds, we're not taking our thoughts captive, we can plummet down to dark places really fast that we never thought we'd do. Right? We can get stuck in a moment we can't get out of. Which is one reason Paul exhorts us in Colossians 3 to, to set our mind on things above and not on things of this world. Those things around us. In those hard times, the Psalms teach us, as we've spoken before, and Terry has taught before, they give us a model on on how to lament, how to to cry out to God in those hard times, and also turn to Him at the same time for hope, 
for comfort. Satan wants to undermine your faith through trials. God wants to grow your faith through trials. Doesn't mean there's always a smile on the face. Doesn't mean my hands are always like raised super high during a moving worship song. Being a Christian means we have the capacity to be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. We read in Hebrews that, that Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endure the cross and the shame. We too can look to a, a future hope, a future grace to help us get through like today, like this hour. Ultimately, whether we praise God or not is a reflection on who or where our faith is. Praise is a reflection, a response when we are trusting God more than our own plans or our own perceptions of how life really is. This isn't a guilt moment. This is not shame on you for not praising more. That's not where I'm going with this. Again, praising God when you have a first grandbaby is going to look very different than when you're praising God at an unexpected funeral. It's going to look different. Praise will be different inwardly and outwardly. Some moments are more difficult to praise God than others. We can and, and should be honest about this, as, as David is and the other authors are throughout the Psalms. So, so how do we praise when the going gets tough? By faith. By faith in Christ. Faith is the key that unlocks our praise to God. It unlocks our praise to God as we remember his promises. We are called to walk by faith and not by sight. That hits at different levels at different times in my spiritual life. I walk by sight a lot more than I think that I do. So, so we trust in the Prince of Peace that he says who he says that he is. Faith in the person of Jesus Christ is the path to peace and joy because faith leads us to Jesus where hope and peace and joy are found even in rough patches and stormy seas. Faith in Jesus connects us to peace and hope and joy like, like mortar connects brick together. Yes, there are, there are good common grace gifts we should enjoy and use like we see in Ecclesiastes and 1 Timothy 6. Those can help, but they aren't designed to sustain us. Faith in Jesus and all who he is keeps us afloat when you aren't sure you can go on one more day. Just because you have faith in Christ does not mean that pit in your stomach, that anchor on your heart goes away. That may still be there. The Bible never promises faith in God being easy, right? Look at Hebrews 11 for the so-called hall of faith in the trials that they went through. So as you walk through the valley of shadow of death, Jesus is not like merely cheering you on. 
He's not just saying, okay, come on, a little bit more, a little bit more, almost there. He is your shepherd walking with you as one who has already navigated all of life's hardships. Because on earth, Jesus fully entrusted himself to the Father moment by moment. Friends, we can trust him. He's done it before. If someone draws comfort from the idea of having a guardian angel, imagine their surprise when as a child of God, you can tell them the very creator of the galaxies perfectly walked through every hardship. And guess what? He's also my personal shepherd. He's walking with me. And he loves to hear from me. Because that's the kind of God Jesus is. He's not distant. He's not far away. He's as near as you can possibly imagine. As you look back over this entire psalm, we see how David found areas to praise the Lord in, particularly as creator and sustainer. Just to catch how much attention he gave to his own sin here. A verse. One verse. It's good. Where does David spend most of his time? Most of it is praising God. Right? One way we, and I will first raise my hand on this and say I. This is very true of me. One way we fail to praise God often enough is paying too much attention to our sin. I'm not referring to the act of sinning, but that's, of course, true as well. No, what I'm talking about is an unintentional outgrowth of pursuing sanctification can be an unhealthy obsession about your sin. Here, when David is living what we might see like a normal day, Nothing spectacular going on, just praising God because of who God is. David doesn't dwell on his sin. He acknowledges it, praises God for atoning for it, and he moves on. His thoughts are in abiding in his Savior, thinking on the things of God, dwelling on the acts of God. And, and how do we know this? Because he's talking about God, Right? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. David's thinking about God a lot. Because he's thinking about God a lot, it comes out of his mouth or out of his pen, as it were. We may, may well be experts on the topic of sin and praise God. We can better understand who we are and our shortcomings, right? But we should never get so good in thinking about sin that we minimize, marginalize, or forget the grace of God that is greater than our sin. I'm sure there are some of you here who glibly and casually think about your sin. If that's you, you need to be a lot more serious about it. Okay? But there are many of us who can think and talk so much about our sin that we fail to meditate on the beauty and majesty of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Psalm 65 is a great example on how we are to think in our day-to-day lives. 
I mentioned earlier how the, the book of Psalms is so relatable and people enjoy it and turn to it a lot because they, it's experiential and it's personal and they, they get it. They can understand what's going on. Out of the 150 or so psalm, not or so, 150 psalms in this book, it's not surprising to know that like all of them in some way or another praise God. Right? Simply the fact that it's written out as a psalm or a song, that's one way that each of the chapters in this book reflect praise towards God, right? Worship towards God, thinking about God. That doesn't surprise us. In terms of how often the psalm writers, and there's David wrote a lot, but he wasn't the only one, but in terms of how often the psalm writers wrote about how hard life is, like struggles, well, things crashing in around them, enemies running, just the, Lord, why are things this way? All those sort of areas, like just general hard life stuff. Roughly, and you can flex on this a little bit, roughly about two thirds, about a hundred of the Psalms have aspects of that within them. I went through and looked to see how many of the Psalms talk about my struggle with my sin? Not like sin in general, like other people's sin or thank you Lord for atoning for my sin, for my sin but actually I'm struggling. Life is hard spiritually because I'm losing battles like what David said here in verse 3. You know how many Psalms, how many chapters in the Psalms talk about personal struggle with sin? About ten. It's only about ten chapters out of 150 where the writers of Psalms talk about their struggle with their sin. Now, there's some good ones, like Psalm 51, Psalm 32. There's some really good places in here to turn to in terms of dealing with my personal sin. Think about that. Ten chapters... That, ref, that reference my struggle with sin. Hundred-ish to talk about how hard life is. And 150 on praising God, returning to Him. That doesn't mean we ignore sin, right? For example, as a stocking stuffer for Christmas, I got Jamie this book, Good and Angry, Redeeming anger, irritation, complaining, and bitterness. I most definitely did not give this to her as a stocking stuffer, okay? Just to be clear, I did not give this to her as a stocking stuffer. And if I did, I would never talk about it up here. I'm thick, but yeah. No, but I am holding this book in my hand, and I do have it. So here's a real story behind it. So for the past month or so, um, we've been spending more time with our oldest son, Bennett, for a variety of reasons, holidays and so forth, other reasons. And so we've been talking about life with him quite a bit. Um, and so one time, one afternoon, we're talking about this and he says, you know what, dad, I know this really good book for you. It's called Good and Angry. And it's by David Pallison, so you know it's good. Like, you're right. So that afternoon, went online and got it. 
So, uh, so this is not for Jamie. This is for me, although hopefully that does help, help her on that front. Um, so we do, we should think about our sins. So, for example, chapter 2. Let me read chapter 2 to you real fast. Here's chapter 2. Title. Do you, it's not italicized, do you have a serious problem with anger? Right below it? Yes. Turn the page. Chapter 3. He knows, David Pallison knows, the Lord knows, we struggle with sin. What I find is that sometimes I can get so much thinking about sin that I'm like, I'm like trying to bury my sin. That's like digging a deeper hole for myself at times. I'm, I'm getting deeper and deeper into it simply because I'm thinking about it nonstop. And I think honestly, Satan's probably pretty cool with me thinking nonstop about my sin. Because when I'm doing that, where's my mind not on? It's not on Christ, right? There are times and places to fight sin. Yes, absolutely. Obsessing about it like myself and probably some of you in here. Dude, this is where, where we need to focus on Christ. You may have heard the phrase from Scottish pastor Robert Murray McShane that goes like this. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. Things, that's the idea he's trying to get behind. It's like, yeah, we don't forget about ourselves. We, we do live a hard life, but we don't let that define us. And he goes on, he says about Jesus. Jesus is altogether lovely, such infinite majesty, and yet such meekness and grace. And for all sinners, even the chief, live much in the smiles of God. What a great place to be. What a great thought. Bask in his beams, feel his all-seeing eyes settled on you in love and repose in his almighty arms. Let your soul be filled with a heart-ravishing sense of the sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in him. Let the Holy Spirit fill every chamber of your heart so that there will be no room for folly or the world or Satan or the flesh. McShane was well aware that one surefire way we battle indwelling sin is we fill our hearts with the sweetness and excellency of Christ. Just give that some thought this year. Praising God acts like a, if I could say it this way, like a spiritual antibiotic in fighting the infection of sin while also helping keep our minds off of sin. And the result is a hope, a joy, a peace that passes understanding when experiencing life struggles. That's something we all want to see this next year, right? I mentioned not long ago about Bennett mentioning this book. During that same conversation, we were just getting, talking about life. And uh, one part of the conversation was Bennett said he was in the, the second quarter of his life. Like you think about football quarters being 15 minutes long. And so forth. And so Ben talked about how he's like in the early second quarter of his life. So I kind of crunched the numbers. And statistically speaking, I'm at about the five minute mark of the third quarter. On average. So I told Trenton that. And he said, how many timeouts do you have left? <laughs> it's like, bless you, son. <laughs> you get extra gifts this year, right? The reality is none of us know how many timeouts we have or if the game is going to be called prematurely. 
So how should we live out 2023, what's left of it, and then 2024 and beyond? Well, turn to me to Romans 15, 13. Romans 15, 13. I'll read it. It'll be put up on the, the slide as well. Paul wrote, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, what if that verse became like our collective living reality in 2024? I'm not saying this is necessarily our GBC verse of the year. I'm not like, dictating that but we could do a lot worse right we see who god is god is the god of hope no matter what we see what god does god fills us with joy and peace how through faith remember paul's not like delivering this as a keynote speaker at a pastor's conference I mean, he's writing to ordinary Christians like you and me. The idea of overflowing with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit isn't just some sort of like pie in the sky, you know, shooting the moon idea. Paul's like, that, that can happen. I mean, that really can happen. So Paul points us upward in our thinking. So if we'd like to fast forward to December 31st of 2024. And if you're, you know, Spotify wrapped for 2024, it doesn't show what you listened to, but showed you how you lived most days. Not perfectly. Not sinlessly. But in general, like, who wouldn't want this? Like, you know what? Generally speaking, over last year, I lived by faith. And there was, there was peace and joy and hope and love. Whether times were really amazing or when it was in the valley. You know, it's going to look different. That doesn't mean these things go away. Because Christ doesn't go away. He's with us. We can't do it alone. Yes, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need each other, right? It means that we're thinking the way God wants us to think, and whether in Psalm 65 or here in Romans 15, and hopefully these items aren't just like a Christmas wish list, but again, by God's grace, these may well become a living reality for us. Let's pay for that, for each other and for ourselves and for our church this coming year.